0: In the early hours of the morning on October 25th, reports started to emerge from Sudan, all indicating that a coup could be taking place.
1: I first received information about the coup around 11 uh, p.m. Sunday night and and tried to contact friends on the ground and was basically awake for the next more than 24 hours.
0: That's Sudanese journalist Ismail Kushkush. He spent many years reporting out of Sudan and East Africa. But this week, he was watching the news from the east coast of the United States, where he's now based.
1: I immediately went to social media, and what we first saw was the arrest of of a number of civilian ministers and political figures. The military placed Prime Minister Abdallah Hamdak under house arrest and detained most of his cabinet. As the hours passed,
0: it became clear what had unfolded. Two years after Sudan's revolution, just weeks before civilian rule was set to begin, it was a coup.
2: The internet and phone lines are disrupted, and the airport in Khartoum closed. Bridges that connect Khartoum to another twin city, Umdurman, these bridges are all occupied by soldiers.
1: Protesters accuse the military of firing live ammunition at the demonstrators.
0: I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Back in 2019, Sudan's longtime president, Omar al-Bashir, was ousted after a popular uprising. In the two years since then, the country has been run by a transitional government, made up of both civilian and military representatives. That government was pretty fragile, especially in recent weeks, as it headed closer to a deadline for a transfer of power. If that transfer had happened, it would have been the first time that Sudan's government was in civilian hands in more than 30 years. Instead,
1: A military coup has unfolded in Sudan in the last few hours. The military chief dissolved the government
3: and declared a national state of emergency.
0: Amidst all of this, plenty of people in the diaspora were turning to their social media feeds to try to piece together what was happening. Ismail was one of them.
1: I tried to contact a few friends. Some I was able to get in touch with. Others I was not. But those were the first uh, few hours. And then we started to see images of protesters it was still very early in the morning in, in sudan break of dawn that we saw some protesters taking to the streets and uh, the burning of, of tires
2: outside the military headquarters in khartoum tens of thousands of men and women are converging once again to show their anger against a sudden military takeover
1: the first few hours which is very typical in coups, things are confusing there are conflicting reports of what is happening, but it felt that this was a, a coup in, in, in the making.
0: And for hours, there was no official statement from the military. Here's what Al Jazeera was broadcasting during that time.
1: On the left-hand side of your screen, pictures from Khartoum of People. On the right-hand side of your screen is state television, and we've been seeing this for the last four or five hours, I'd say, Uh, musical pieces, pre-recorded shots of Sudan. There is no indication of anything going on.
0: Until the head of the army came on national television hours after the arrests.
1: The absolute and clear sign that this was a military takeover was the statement made by uh, Abdel Fattah Burhan, the head of the, the Sovereignty Council of the army.
0: Burhan was a longtime military commander under Bashir, and then a key figure in the coup that ousted him. Burhan has been leading the Transitional Council since then.
1: The language that uh, Burhan has been using is that they they are, quote-unquote, correcting the path of the revolution. To correct the path of the revolution, we decided the following. First, enforcing the state of emergency all over the country.
0: Ismail says the military has pointed out critiques of the civilian side of the transitional government in an attempt to justify what's happening.
1: There are legitimate critiques of the transitional government at large and even the civilian side.
0: At the same time, the military is represented in the
1: Transitional Council, too. The military was a partner in this government. It taking action alone, I think, was a sign that this indeed was a coup. As days have passed,
0: there has been more clarity. Burhan declared a state of emergency. Parts of the constitution were suspended. Access to the internet, which was disrupted on Monday, is still pretty sporadic. Abdullah Hamdok, the prime minister, was eventually returned to his home. But the military dissolved the transitional government, which came together after the popular uprising that upended Sudan's politics.
1: So in April 2019, protests uh, were able to bring down the 30-year-old government of Omar al-Bashir. That was followed by months of negotiations between civilian forces and the military councils. They had reached an agreement in the fall of 2019, a power-sharing agreement that would see the transition of Sudan into full civilian rule in 39 months. The Sovereignty Council, as it was called, was divided between civilian members and military members.
0: So for the first 21 months, that council was to be led by the military, represented by Burhan. And those 21 months were coming to an end.
1: November 2021, in a month, is when the transition from a military head of the Sovereignty Council to a civilian head of the council. That was only weeks from now. That is when there was supposed to be a full transition to civilian rule that would uh, lead the transitional period into 2023 for elections. That is the complex transitional situation that the Sudanese government is in and has been in.
0: That situation was only getting more complex as that November deadline came closer.
1: For the past few weeks, we've seen coup attempts, or at least
3: declared coup attempts. Tensions grew after a coup attempt blamed on followers of Bashir was foiled in last month. Then earlier this month, supporters of the military leaders took to the streets to call on the army to take back control. On Saturday, tens of thousands of people held protests to show solidarity with the transitional government.
1: We saw protests and they in support of a military takeover, but we also saw much larger protests against a possible military takeover and in support of full civilian rule.
0: One of those protests demanding civilian rule happened on October 21st just days before the coup took place.
1: We saw hundreds of thousands of Sudanese in different cities, in Khartoum, in western and eastern, northern and southern parts of the country, in support of full civilian rule.
0: That date, October 21st, is an important one in Sudanese history.
1: October 21st, 1964, is the first people power movement First, a popular uprising in the region that brought down successfully a, a military government. For Sudanese, the memory of that uprising is very dear because it, it is a part of their political heritage. The choosing of that date was not a coincidence. Many of the organizers of the protest believed that that memory would help bring out people considering the situation in the country, considering the tense situation, and debates over military rule and civilian rule that Sudan in the past few weeks, past few months, has been uh, going under.
0: I wanted to talk to someone who's been participating in these debates in Sudan. Given the communication shutdown, that was difficult. But after a while, I was able to reach Marine and Neil in Khartoum. Kind of.
2: Um talking to you for a second so you can get a sense of the audio quality. (laughs) Marine,
0: thank you so much for holding on through the technical snafus. Sure, no problem. Though that didn't last for too long. Were you part of those protests that were taking place before the coup? Oh, I might have lost you again. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. It looks like we just lost Marine, which is understandable. Eventually, we were able to hear from her. And she said she did join those protests on October 21st.
2: Protesters around Sudan came out in support of their demands, not in support of any specific entity, not the military, not the civilian component of the Sovereign Council, but in support of the demands of the revolution. And for the fact that a coup occurred only four days after that, on the 25th of October, um... It is, it? Uh, it's just uh, incredible. Mirin says
0: there was already momentum from the protests. And then, a few days later, she heard the news.
2: I think as, like many people here in Sudan, I woke up to the news that a coup already happened. After that, internet shutdown happened early in the morning. But protesters spread the word through word of mouth and through neighborhood resistance committees and other ways of grassroots organizing that we will be rejecting this coup. And on the 25th, people took out to the streets again to express their rejection of the military and to express that even if there are objections or concerns about how the civilian government is performing, that does not in any way, shape or form ever mean the people of Sudan will support a military coup, will support the military taking over the power from the civilian government.
0: In fact, she thinks the coup has made that sentiment even stronger.
2: This coup brought us uh, back to a more strong stance of wanting a fully civilian government. the the trust in the military is now completely dissipated. Some television medium have been kind of showing a narrative of two sides, a side that is supporting the coup and not even calling it a coup, and a side wants a return to a civilian government. And I don't think that's an accurate description of the general feeling out in the streets here in Khartoum and all of Sudan. We are united in the rejection of the military. In fact, before the coup, people were focusing on the performance of the government or some people were supportive of uh, its actions and others were not. And now, everyone is is united about rejecting the military. Whatever it is that we are going to focus on with our civilian government will be a matter of civilians between the people and a civilian uh, government. And no discussion about ruling the country can happen with a military government. And I think that's the most important statement or the most important message that people can take from people here in Sudan.
0: Marine wasn't surprised about the coup. She said there had been rumors that something like that would happen. And that's true for the diaspora, too. I spoke with Nisreen al an assistant professor of international studies at Bryn Mawr College in the U.S. state of Pennsylvania, and she felt
3: the same way. My immediate feeling was, this is not necessarily surprising, but one of my biggest fears kind of became a reality in a way. Why was that? I mean, for one, since the formation of the transitional government in um, August 2019, it's been a sort of power-sharing partnership between civilian uh, members and technocrats and military elements, really, of the former Bashir regime and the orchestrators of this seizure of power. They're sort of part of al-Bashir's inner circle. They're also responsible for atrocities in Darfur and South Sudan
0: Nasreen thinks the military could be worried that a civilian leadership could hold them accountable for the crimes that took
3: place under Bashir. The other reason I'm not surprised is because the military controls much of the economy. in Sudan, 250 companies are currently owned by the military and by high-ranking members of the military. And so him handing over that power also meant potentially having to hand over those companies.
0: There's been quite a bit of international outcry since the military takeover. The move was condemned by the UN Secretary General. The African Union suspended Sudan's membership. But Nasreen says there's a lot of subtext to some of the international responses. Publicly, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE have officially expressed their concerns.
3: I think, you know, behind closed doors, they're in support of Al-Burhan. He even during the Bashir regime, was closely allied with those three external actors. He was trained in Egyptian military college and has strong ties to Sisi. That's Egypt's president,
0: who originally took power himself in a coup two years after a popular uprising ousted the country's long-standing leader. While Bashir was in power, Sudan was straddling one of the biggest fault lines in Middle East politics at the time. Saudi, Egypt and the UAE were on one side, and countries like Qatar and Turkey were
3: on another. So I think that at that time al-Bashir became maybe less of a reliable ally for Saudi Arabia, the Emirates and Egypt, whereas al-Burhan is seen as, as more loyal, more reliable. And so I think we need to keep our eye on them as well and recognize the role that they've been playing against the wishes of Sudanese people. I think the U.S. is is perhaps not as strong of a player as it thinks it is. The U.S.
0: has spoken out against the coup and suspended $700 million in humanitarian
3: aid. But in many ways, that doesn't really matter to Al-Burhan. They've been operating in isolation under the Bashir regime for 30 years, and they could care less whether there is a deep economic crisis that is essentially having a devastating impact on the majority of Sudan's people because they're benefiting from these crises and, and they've been enriching themselves. So really for them... It doesn't matter so much if some of this aid is withdrawn because they have other kinds of support and are able to benefit in other ways.
0: So the uprising that predated this transitional government was just a couple of years ago, 2019. Can you remind us of what the movements that organized that uprising
3: look like and are they still active? Sudan has a long history of revolutions the October 1964 revolution, the March and April revolution of 1985 that both overthrew military dictatorships. And so this one sort of was in line with that. At the same time, it emerged actually in more marginalized parts of Sudan before it came to Khartoum. And that to me is extremely significant because it's partly why it's sustained itself for so long. You had groups of people from urban areas and rural areas, neighborhood resistance committees, in cities across the country who had been organizing at a very local level for social justice and to, to demand the provision of social services from their governments for a while. Like Nisreen said, a really wide swath of people were involved. My father, who was in his mid-80s, participated in the December uh, 2018 revolution, and I was getting regular updates from him while also often sort of (laughs) feeling panicked about what might happen to him while he was out on the streets, sort of dodging tear gas and protesting alongside others.
0: Nisreen's father joined people from across the country, from labor unions to feminist groups, calling for a change in government.
3: So it went way beyond wanting the ouster of the Bashir regime to really imagine a Sudan that looks very different from one that we've really ever experienced. And to me, that gave me incredible hope. And what we saw actually after the formation of the transitional government is a, a period of unprecedented acts of civil disobedience. And really on, on an almost daily, if not you know, weekly basis, you had some form of protest or civil disobedience uh, in people's workplaces or on, in neighborhoods and in streets. And so to me, the revolution continued and continues today. Uh, And people were kind of waiting on the sidelines and, and will continue to do so to say to anybody who's in power that it's really the people who should determine the future of Sudan and not the elites that have been in power since our independence.
0: That tradition of civil disobedience has continued this week. Here's Marine again from Khartoum. Uh,
2: A lot of protests have been happening in Khartoum and in other cities since the 25th. So for the past three days, uh, people have been protesting. Most streets um, are barricaded around the city of Khartoum by protesters. There are forces who come and remove the barricades. However, protesters come back again and barricade the street. And she says people are gearing
0: up for more protests on October 30th.
2: That is calling for the military to give up power, and that is calling for accountability of uh, General Lieutenant Al-Burhan. And
0: I asked Nasreen what she's hearing from people on the ground.
3: The, some of the main messages I'm hearing from people on the ground is that uh, the way we talk about the coup is important, that we don't talk about it as a done deal Al-Burhan has been saying that he's going to form a transitional government made up of technocrats and civilians and lead us towards the elections in 2023. But the question is, which civilians are going to join this government and who is he going to govern? The people of Sudan are sending a clear message that they're not governable by Al-Burhan and the military and that really their days are numbered. People are risking their lives. I should mention that people have been killed, 140 injured. People are being shot at. The military has raided people's homes. And so they're responding with violence. And yet people are still going out onto the streets, erecting barricades, and sending the clear message that they will not return to military rule. And your father, who, as you mentioned,
0: was out on the streets during the uprising. What are your conversations with him like?
3: My father at the moment is in Philadelphia and he's watching. I had a conversation with him yesterday and it actually makes me emotional thinking about it because he actually participated in protests that got the British out of Sudan in the 1950s. And so for him to participate in the revolution was a really, it was a really powerful moment for him and for me to see him kind of come full circle. And I think, you know, he's watching this feeling both quite depressed about the kind of unfolding situation, but also telling me that we can't give up hope because we don't have the privilege of giving up hope. We can't allow Sudan to be hijacked and to return to military rule. It's just not, it's not something we can afford to do. And that's The Take.
0: This episode was produced by Nagin Auliai and Aya El-Milek, with Alexandra Locke, Ruby Siman, Amy Walters, Priyanka Tilbe, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Tom Pinton is our story editor. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. And Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. Special thanks to Amil Khan. We'll be back.